close your eyes. There's such a sense of God's presence here. I don't have to even say that, but if by any chance you're completely unaware of that, I just want to remind you, the God of the universe is here. Yeah, he loves to come and reveal his salvation, show his salvation and his gospel. Make it clear, make it plain. Oh, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just, yeah, the offering's going around, but please don't be distracted. Just keep your eyes on him. My job here today is, is to come. And like uh, Kevin was saying earlier, it's to try and pick up what can be added here. What's, what's God's word and his message for Durbanville AM, for this congregation, for what God's doing here in Pinehurst and around. And so I just, I take that very seriously. I want to be aware of God. What are you saying? Put aside good messages for the sake of God. What are you saying? Oh, Jesus. There's no sin, no shame, no pain, no chains. Nothing can stand against my name. I will make a way in the wilderness. <laughs> no sin, no shame. No pain, no chains. Nothing can stand against my name. I will make a way in the wilderness. Oh, there's no sin, no shame, no pain, no chains. Nothing can stand against my name. I will make a way in the wilderness. Because death could not hold you. The veil torn before you, you silence the most of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring, the praise of your glory, for you are raised to life again. You have no rival, you have no rival. You have no equal now and forever, God. You reign, and yours is the kingdom, yours is the glory, yours is the name. Christ, my King. What a powerful name it is. Nothing can stand against. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Wow. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen.
Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Greg. What a blessing. Wow. So, yeah, more and more often um, we get to these places and I'm so aware God wants to, he wants to speak. Um, and so I'm going to just go with what I feel like God's revealing in worship. I did prepare for this morning and I do have a, a message prepared, um, a good one. But I can save it for the conference if I need to now, which is great because <laughs> I think he's given me something else in worship. I, I, saw, I saw Cape Gate, uh, Tiger Valley. I saw these shopping centers full of people and not necessarily outwardly the worst people. They don't look bad. They dress well. They've got good manners, even good upbringings. A lot of them, they're contributing to society. And a lot of them know the name of Jesus, but I saw them walking. But just such a sense of, of um, if we had to see spiritually, it would be completely dark. It would be completely shut off. The veil would be over them. The veil of legalism and the law and, not, and religion, of not knowing Him. Um, and I feel like in this congregation, God is doing something which is going to be revival. I think it's already happening. I was here a couple of months ago and there was such a sense of, oh my word, God is setting you up for such revival. This whole year has been a year of new people and visitors and stretching your tent pegs, you know, wider and making room for all the people God wants to add. As we, as we just saw these people lining up here to get baptized, there was such a sense of, of, of this is this is revival stuff guys this is like this is the stuff read about and long for and pray for for years this is why church buildings are built you know it's not to create a, a, a lovely you know more comfortable space so that comfortable religious Christians that don't really know Jesus can have a nice place a better option to go to on Sundays you know and I know this is in your hearts but I saw these these people being woken up being rescued from death and from sin and from the, the places of incredible darkness, even though you wouldn't think so if you look at them. And I want, uh, we, we need to, uh, you know, judge according to the spirit, not according to the flesh. Very easy to walk around in Durbanville and judge according to the, according to the flesh. Oh, well, they're probably good people. And hey, they even said some Christian things. So I'm sure they're Christians, you know, I'm sure they know the Lord. I'm sure they're going to heaven. No, they're not. They're dying in their sin and they're going to hell. They just look a little bit better than some people. And it's like God's waking us up going, no, judge according to the Spirit because only those who are born again, where Jesus is Lord and Savior, where they've been washed, they've been bathed, and they've been buried in baptism. Those are the ones that are mine. You know, and, and um, I, I was reading, let me just read this first. I don't know how I got onto this, but I've been reading Lamentations. It must be the Lord, because it's not really a go-to book, you know. Uh, the book of Lamentations, I remember studying it back in the day, and the whole book is written with like an A, B, C, D, E, F, G. It's like written according to the Hebrew alphabet. And the, the idea behind Lamentations is that God has just destroyed Jerusalem. All the judgments that He saved up to pour against His own people who were committing adultery against Him for 400 or more years, finally the discipline has come. And they're under the discipline of God and this, you know, is, Jerusalem gets um, seized and uh, by the by the Babylonians and by the Assyrians and 
They, they start having these great empires against them. And when they're under siege, I mean, terrible things happen in Jerusalem. They, they, the mothers start eating their babies. And it's written about in, in Lamentations because they're so hungry. They're so thirsty. They're dying of thirst. They're dying of hunger. They're, they're crawling around the streets, keeping the enemy out. But the enemy has put them under siege. And it's, it's horrific. It's, like a, it's really a horrific book. It's one of those books when you read it, you're quite disturbed, actually. When you think about this and you realize that this is because they've resisted and rebelled against God for so many years. And God's reached out to them and sent prophet after prophet. And they've killed the prophets. They've stoned them. They've sawn them in two. Um, they did not want to listen to God. Even though God, like a loving father and a loving bridegroom, is reaching out to his children. Reaching out to those that he would have as his bride. And so it's, it's an incredibly sad book. And Jeremiah is writing in this way of ABCD because it's like it's almost like he's trying to make some sort of sense out of the madness that's the idea between about, with the literary way that this book is written it's like let's bring some sort of order to such chaos and confusion and you obviously don't get that in the English but if you had to read it in in the Hebrew you would see that but um in chapter 3 there's this incredible portion of hope but I want to read a little bit of the bad side before I get to the portion of hope. So I'm reading in the NLT um, in Lamentations 3 verse, verse uh, 13. So he's just described the horrors of Jerusalem. What happens to people who live in rebellion against God for that long? What happens to people that resist for that long? We had one of the guys getting baptized this morning just saying, I've resisted for so long. I've walked in disobedience, but praise God. He's, he's allowed me to say yes to him today and to actually obey him. Like what a beautiful testimony. And I believe there are a lot of people in this whole area that are walking with that testimony. Saying, I'm a Christian, but they're not. They're walking in rebellion actually against God. He's not their savior. He's not their Lord. He, they know that he is a savior and they know that he is a Lord, but he's not their savior and he's not their Lord. And they're not born again by the power of the spirit of God. And uh, Lamentations 3.13 says... He shot his arrows, talking about like God punishing his own people, because a good, a good God will punish even his own people um, in order to get their attention. He'll discipline them with redemption in mind. He says, he shot his arrows deep into my heart. My own people laugh at me all day long. They sit there mock with mocking songs. He has filled me with bitterness and given me a bitter cup of sorrow to drink. Remember the cup of sorrow, hey? Who, who eventually drank the cup of sorrow? The cup of wrath. Who drank that cup? It was Jesus. He said, please take it from me. But if it's your will, Lord, I'll drink it. I'll drink all the wrath and all the sorrow of all mankind. But at this stage, the Jerusalem is, and, and the Israelites are drinking this. Uh, Judah is drinking this. It says, he has made me chew on gravel. He has rolled me in the dust. Peace has been stripped away from me, and I've forgotten what prosperity is. I cry out. My splendor is gone. Everything I had hoped for from the Lord is lost. And I feel like, you know, in, in, our, in this area, you might look at people and go, well, there's prosperity, there's peace, isn't there? But if you had to get into their lives and look spiritually, you would see, no, there's no peace. There's no prosperity. There's no joy. There's no delight. There's actually just a, a spiraling into darkness, in the, in the secret places of people's hearts and minds. And eventually it'll come out. Maybe they'll hide it for a while, but eventually it'll come out. And, and I'm going to get to some hope, but I, I feel like we need to see clearly this morning. 
the thought of my suffering, this is verse 19. Sorry, this is really depressing. Just hold on for a little moment. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Now listen to this. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. This is Jeremiah. For years he's been prophesying. He knows about the new covenant that is coming. He's probably spelled it out more clearly than any other prophet. I mean, it's, he knows about this. And he says, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. It might look like it, but they're there, waiting. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in Him. They've lost everything. There's no inheritance. But God's reminding them that above all things, He is their inheritance. Because only in Him is any kind of prosperity and peace and provision and life and all that comes with it. It's only in Him. He is their inheritance. The Lord is good to those who depend on Him, to those who search for Him. So it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. And it is good for people to submit at an early age to the yoke of His discipline. God's wanting to wake people up in in this city, this town, I mean, Durbanville, Belleville, Brackenfell, this whole area, it is like a, a city of its own. God wants to wake them up. Say, at a young age, come on, submit to me as Lord. Submit to my discipline so that I can grow you up and you can be mine. Yo, this just, I just want to get to some scriptures as we... Just a few key ones to remind us this is what God's doing. I feel like there's a, there's a spring up a well. There's a, there's a well and there's a fountain that's opening up here where people are going to come in and they're going to have their sins washed away and their old lives buried. And if I think of baptism, I know you taught from this probably in the last couple of weeks leading up to, um, to this baptism moment. But I feel like today there's a few people getting baptized, but there's, there's more people here that have maybe been baptized that need to remember that this is for you. You need to remember that today that covenant is renewed. Don't let it just be for a few people starting their journey. Today, let this covenant be renewed. When I think of baptism, I always think of a bath and a burial. Maybe, I don't know if you covered it like this. Um, and I won't go into a big teaching about this, but in 1 Peter 3 verse 21, it says, and that water is a picture of baptism He's referring to something that happened with the Israelites long ago, you know, but he's saying that's a picture of baptism, which now saves you, not by the removing of dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not a washing of the body, but a washing of the conscience to clean your conscience completely. The problem with human beings is they remember everything. You know, Psalm 130 says, praise the Lord, you know, who who does not keep a record of sins. But with him there is forgiveness, therefore he is feared. The new covenant is, I will forgive your sin and remember them no more. That's, That's God's promise and his covenant promise to us. That he will so do away with our sins that we'll remember it no more. But the problem with human beings is, is we remember everything, whether we like it or not. We actually can't forget. 
Sometimes we can block out. Sometimes we can live in denial, but it's still there. It's still in the back of our minds. And there's, there is no chains as great as the chains of shame and guilt. Shame and guilt. I mean, you, you, you can be in all sorts of terrible circumstances in the world. Or you can be in the most incredible circumstances of wealth and prosperity according to the world's standards. But you can be in complete bondage if there is pain, I mean, if there is shame, and if there is guilt. Complete bondage. And God has given us a powerful, powerful answer to that in baptism. And baptism is part of being born again. It's not some separate thing. I, I believe with all my heart, as you read Romans 6, baptism is not just symbolic. It's a powerful act of faith that has powerful results. I remember a story of a, a man and a woman married to one another. Both of them had pasts of their own, of adultery and, 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 and you know, just a sinful past. And they get saved and they give their lives to the Lord and they, they start to live different and they start to work on their marriage. And part of working on their marriage was that they confessed their sin to one another, which is good. And they told of what they had done. And this man told of the fact that he had committed adultery. And it, was, it came out. But the problem was that this guy could never look his wife in the eye. He, he knew, theoretically, God, you've forgiven me. He knew what the gospel gave him. But he struggled to look his wife in the eye. Because as he did, he just realized, I've been unfaithful. I've been with other women. I, I, I just can't. There's no, not that sense of just cleansing and, and clarity between us. And as he, um, and, and, uh, he went to go see this, this preacher, famous preacher guy, um, that you guys would know, and, and uh, David Pawson. And David Pawson said, but when were you baptized? And the guy said, no, I haven't been baptized. He said, you have to get baptized because you need to be washed. Your conscience hasn't been washed. You haven't been cleansed. Like that's what baptism is for. That's what 1 Peter 3 says, that we just, you've got to wash yourself. Washing the outside is great. I mean, all of us need to bath every day and wash. You know, it goes, things go wrong. We, we try to explain that to our kids, those who have children. <laughs> the other day, we said to one of my daughters, she said, you got to bath today. And she's like, no, but I, I bathed yesterday morning and I bathed for really long. And we're like, that's not how it works. It doesn't matter how long you bath. You still got to bath every day. You're like, you've, you've got to be clean. Otherwise, things start happening in all the wrong places and it gets sore and it's not good. You know what I mean? And, and Jesus gives us this way of being cleansed. It's called baptism of your conscience being washed. And this guy, the story goes, the testimony is that this guy got baptized. And after getting baptized, everyone's celebrating and shouting all of that. And he ran. He just ran and found his wife and looked into her eyes and said, It's worked! It's worked! <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? Because there's a setting free. Because guilt and shame, the knowledge of our own sin, and we cover it up. We cover it up by being critical towards other people. By, by, by keeping records of other people's sins. Or we cover it up by, by just living in denial and just filling our lives with all sorts of recreation. Or we cover it up by trying to be successful in other areas of life. But deep down, there are chains that are holding us called sin and shame and the guilt that comes with it. And Jesus died for that. If you read through Isaiah 53, He died for shame. He died for brokenness. He died to replace it. And baptism is how we put our faith in it and, and appropriate what God has done on a deep level where we can be washed and cleansed.
We need to be washed. Whoops. Oh, wow, that was cool. I just by mistake flicked this lid into the box. Wow, that's cool. <laughs> I'm just uh, unintentionally terrible. Um, <laughs> I'm a soccer player, so for me that kind of thing is cool. Um, and so, you know, in the Bible, when Paul goes to different places in Acts, in Acts 19 and Acts 8, the, the apostles go in Acts 8, uh, Peter and John, and there's been, you know, a lot of people saying yes to the Lord, like putting up their hands for salvation. But like in Acts 19, when Paul goes there to Ephesus, he says, hold on, there's something wrong with these Christians. Something's going on here. You probably covered this if you, if you were looking at baptism recently. And Paul talks to them. He says, what baptism did you receive? They say, well, we received John's baptism, which is a baptism of repentance. Repentance is a very important part of salvation, very important part of being born again. Faith, repentance, baptism in water, and baptism in the Holy Spirit. Those four things, you always see them go together when people are born again. If you don't have one of those four things, there's going to be a deficiency in your faith. And nowadays, we do have a lot of people putting their faith in Jesus. In other words, I believe in Jesus. Maybe not true faith, which puts all their hope in Him, but some sort of belief. The Bible says even the demons believe. But they're not saved. They don't know Jesus is Lord, but they believe He is a Lord. So it's not real faith, it's deficient faith. But anyway, faith is, is, it is a good thing, but repentance is often missing. But these believers, they've, they've had faith and they've believed. And, and, and they've repented, which is good. John's baptism, baptism of repentance. Lord, forgive my sin, you know, I'm turning away from my sin. That's a good thing. But they hadn't been baptized into the name of Jesus and they hadn't been filled with the Spirit. And Paul interacting with them, he doesn't start teaching them anything else. He doesn't move on to any great revelations about you know, how the mystery of the gospel works itself out in the church. I mean, later on, he'll write to Ephesus and he'll tell them incredible mysteries that are now revealed. He'll tell them about their identity in Christ, all of this. But when he comes there and he realizes that there's something missing, he immediately says, what, how, have you been baptized and have you been baptized properly into the name of Jesus? And have you been filled with the Spirit of God? And so many Christians are like that today. They've They've, they've put their hand up somewhere. They've said, I believe, maybe at school even, they've, they've had someone come to the assembly and they've said, I believe. And that's beautiful. God remembers that. And He remembers what happens in those moments. And He, he counts every word. But there comes a time where they need to say, okay, I'm getting baptized into the name of Jesus. I'm going to be washed. I'm going to have my old self buried. And I'm going to be made new. And so the, the first thing is washing. The second thing is is burial, dying. And I'm sure you covered this. The Bible's very explicitly clear, so I won't go through Romans 6 and all these scriptures which are about, about, what, um, about burial. Uh, but it's, it's about dying. Maybe I can read this quickly in Romans 6, because it is helpful to see it in the Bible. Romans 6 verse 1, it says, What will, shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means... We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? The, the answer is not just we need to be better people. We need to work harder. We need to be good citizens. We need to do what the preacher tells us. The answer is we've died to the old life. And if we haven't died, it's to make sure that we put to death any sins or misdeeds of the body by the Spirit of God 
They need to die so that we can be alive in Christ. Like, that's the answer for Christians. This is really important. Christians are not just covered by grace. Grace is not just covering for sin. Grace is an empowering to live different from now on, from a new position in Christ, alive in Him, no longer dead in my sin, but alive in Him. It's very important to know that. I heard statistics the other day in America of something like 98% of Christians defined grace purely as forgiveness or love or covering sin. Only 2% said grace is empowering. It's the power of God to say no to unrighteousness, like Titus 2.11. It's the power of God to live different, to live in my new identity. And you realize if 98% of Christians possibly in the world are walking around, they don't even know what grace is. They don't know the power that's available. They don't know that they, they're dead and they're new creations. That's, that's just very sad. <laughs> and that's what I'm saying is I believe a lot of this area doesn't know this stuff. They don't live in the power. They don't live washed. They don't live with the old man buried, new man alive. And so we need a revival. We need the gospel preached. We need the power of God to go out. And so Romans 6 tells us, as well as other scriptures, that baptism is a burial. Another great story, and once again, this is from David Pawson. He's dead now. He ministered here in Josh Jen back in the day, and we all spent time with him. I mean, just a w wonderful teacher. I don't, did you share the story about the, the, the Baptist pastor and his friend? So anyway, um, just a beautiful story in England. These two children growing up together, one of the children um, ended up giving their life to the Lord and becoming a pastor in a church. The other child ended up um, really going off the rails badly with drugs and even the occult and all sorts of things that that, that life led him into, you know. And so they got separated, needless to say, and this was before social media and Facebook and all of this. And, and this guy whose life went off the rails realized there's one person I remember that might be able to help me. It was my friend. He was a good guy, and I think he would accept me. I think he would, um, I think, you know, and he didn't know what had happened to his friend. He didn't know that this friend had gotten saved. He didn't know that this friend had become a, a minister. And so, um, so this guy said, I'm going to find my friend. But he had no way of finding his friend. They had been separated. But he knew he's probably in England somewhere. So this guy, tied up in the occult, this guy's gone off the rails. He says, I'm going to go and visit a medium, a spiritist, and I'm going to see if, if this spiritist can find my friend. And so he visits this medium, and this, this lady, this woman says, I found, uh, yes, I've located him. I found your friend. I know where, where he lived. And he, she described a park. She described the house he lives in. She described the area because that's what she saw. I mean, there, there are real demons and real spirits. If For those of you who have been involved in deliverance or maybe in the occult or whatever, this stuff is very real. And, and she, she saw all of this. But then she said, but I'm so sorry, your friend's dead. And so he was very depressed by this, but he thought, I'm going to still go and pay my respects. I'm still going to go and find maybe the family because this was shocking news to him. So he eventually found the area that the woman described. He found the park. He found the house. He knocked on the door. And as, as he knocked on the door, his friend answers the door, very much alive. And he's shocked by this. He's going, what? Yeah, I can't believe you're alive. And they catch up and they talk. And he says, well, actually, I'm ashamed to say, but I went to a spiritist. She's the one that found you. She's the one that told me about you and how to find you. That's how I found you. But she said that you're dead. She even gave me the date that you died. 
And she said, well, the date was 1971, you know, October 16th. That's when you died. And he says, ah, oh, okay, it makes sense now because that's the date I got baptized. <laughs> and you realize in the spiritual realm, there's a very real, I'm dead to the old, I'm, an, I'm alive to the new. I'm a completely new person. Completely new in Christ. And so today is a celebration, yes, for these 20 people or whatever it was that are being washed, their consciences made clean, guilt and shame no longer sticking to them, buried, the old life buried. I'm a new creation. From now on, I don't fight to become a better me. It's never about seven steps to a better you, a healthier you, a, a more wonderful you, a cleverer you. Like that's all humanistic rubbish. You can't become better. You've got the old man has to die. Only Christ is beautiful and good. Only He is good. And we need to be in Him. It's the only way we can live. And today is not just about these guys. It's about every person I believe in this building going, Oh my goodness, am I still living in what baptism did for me? And if you're not baptized, please do it today. Because here's the thing about bearing when someone dies, you need to bury them pretty quickly. That's an important point. That's the picture of baptism. The picture of baptism is guys rock up and they're like, have you been baptized? No, well, we've been baptized, you know, John's baptism for repentance. You've got to get baptized now. You've got to bury the old man. You're carrying around a stinking corpse. Get rid of it. You wonder why you don't have power, breakthrough, life in your, in your Christian walk. You wonder why you're still struggling with condemnation and, and a guilty conscience all the time. It's because you've got to be washed and you've got to put the old man in the, in the grave. And live in the power that he's bought for you. Live in this new man in Christ. One of the most powerful things that can happen in your life is to see how Jesus sees you, <laughs> to truly see how he sees you. I, I feel like this is a discovery that I'm only discovering in recent years, where so much of my life, so much inside me was trying to perform and be better. So much was trying to be a better me. So much was trying to hide the sinful, shameful areas rather than just living in the light and letting him help me and speak over me and dance over me, and delight over me. You know, if, if you spend time with someone, and you don't think that they like you, if there's anything in your mind, if, you, if I spend time with Sherman, and I know there's this awkwardness, like something happened a while ago, and I think Sherman is actually a little bit cross with me, we can be all buddy-buddy on the surface, and we probably would, because we're both like, you know, friendly personalities. But if there's something in me that thinks, I don't think he really likes me, I'm going to hold myself back from him. I'm not going to give myself fully. I'm going to be reticent. I might know that I should love him and be kind, you know, but I'm going to hold myself back because I don't know what he's going to do to me. I don't feel totally safe because I know maybe I offended him and I don't know if I'm really forgiven and I know that there might be an issue between us. You know what I mean? And so many Christians live like that with God. They live with the sense of, I'm, I'm holding back because I don't really know how he feels about me. 
And so I'm going to try my best to look as squeaky clean as I possibly can, to perform as well as I can, so that when I am in his presence, I can show him all those things, and I hope that we're going to be okay. That's not intimacy. And Jesus died for intimacy. Like, that's his greatest desire, is that we would have intimacy with the Father, to be reconciled, to be brought together. Salvation is not just a ticket to heaven and getting out of hell. That's like the, 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 the most obvious starting benefit of salvation. The whole point is living in relationship with our God. But to live in intimacy. I, I, I can't live in intimacy. Even the best songs, even the most incredible anointed, you know, princes and and Hanks and Greg's cannot lead me into the presence of God. I come into the presence of God by the blood of Jesus, and I come knowing how He now sees me and what He speaks over me. Knowing that, that everything's been washed, the old has been buried and it's gone, and I'm a new creation created in Christ Jesus, loved, blessed, clean, blameless. Like, I have to know that. And if for a second I come into his presence and I'm aware of something, if I come to Sherman and I'm aware of something that's there, that's awkward, the best thing to do is, Sherman, there was this time, I've done this with many people over the years, hey, listen, and with my wife many times, hey, this happened the other day. I don't think we're fine. Can we, uh, please, I need to ask for forgiveness. Can we, oh, I forgive you. It's gone. It's done. I, maybe I didn't even realize. Or maybe, hey, that did hurt me, but it's gone now. Forgiven. And what happens? Your relationship now opens up. There's light again. And the Bible says if you live in the light, you will have true fellowship. And the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all sin. But live in the light. And so we need to, we need to appropriate what God's done. And this is what the Bible says. Um, this is the scripture that I was thinking of as we were worshiping. It's a scripture that really powerfully helped me in times where I just couldn't get kind of victory over condemnation couldn't get victory over that feeling of i think i'm a failure deep down people think i'm successful but actually ah there's areas of my life where i know that i've failed and there's this awkwardness when i come into god's presence and god started dealing with all that religion and all that self-centered focus which is not good because i mean don't don't focus on the corpse the corpse isn't pretty a lot of people like Oh, look at the corpse and it smells. God's like, just put it in the ground, bury it. Please dig a hole like six feet down at least. Let the, the bugs eat it and stuff. And if that corpse ever sticks its ugly zombie hand out the ground, you kick it down, you kill it by the power of the Spirit. You bury it. You don't contemplate it and analyze it and, and bring it up and say, oh, I better pull the corpse out and study it, you know. That's not going to be good. It's not going to end well. Nothing about that is going to be beautiful. <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? This is, it's, this is what the Bible tells us. But here's what, here's what God speaks over his people. After, you know, he says, after the time when Lamentations is written, after that incredible discipline that you're going to live under, I'm going to remember you. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to restore you. And I used to read scriptures like this in Isaiah 62, and I used to think, oh, what's the context? Who's he talking to? Well, I can't apply that to me. And I had to actually get over some of that, my intellectualism, and go, oh, wait a minute. If God's speaking this to Old Testament Jerusalem, surely he's saying it to me, who's in Christ. 
You know what I mean? And so you can apply these scriptures in the Old Testament to yourself by faith. Because they're ultimately fulfilled in Jesus and in us. So this is what it says. Um, 62, verse 1. Let's just start from verse 1. Isaiah 62, verse 1. Yeah, I'm reading in the NLT again. I don't know if you've got that. But because I love Zion, I will not keep still. Because my heart yearns for Jerusalem, I cannot remain silent. I will not stop praying for her until her righteousness shines like the dawn. I hope you're... You're burning like that for your area you live in. Lord, this area, so many that have confessed to believe, be believers, but God, would you save them so that their righteousness can shine like the dawn. The nations will see, sorry, her salvation blazes like a burning torch. Oh, yes, come on. That's what God's doing, eh? He's setting a people on fire. As God, you know, people are going to come here expecting another church that's maybe got better coffee than the last one and nicer worship. And they're going to see a people whose salvation is blazing on fire like a burning torch. And they're going to go, oh my goodness, maybe I'm not saved. Maybe it's just religion and form. Maybe I'm not washed and buried. The nations will see your righteousness. World leaders will be blinded by your glory. Ugh. This is how the church is going to shine in the last days, guys. Yeah, the persecution and the darkness is going to get worse, but come on. People are going to be blinded by the glory of His people, His church, His city. And you will be given a new name by the Lord's own mouth. Now make this very personal. The Lord will hold you in His hand for all to see a splendid crown in the hand of the Lord. Hey, that's what salvation is about. Yes, it's about you being saved, but it's about God holding you up as a trophy of His grace for ages to come. Ephesians 2 writes about, for, for eternity to come, they're going to see the immeasurable riches of God's grace. He's going to hold you up like a shining torch, like, look at my people. I've saved them for the sake of my own name and my own glory and a testimony that's much deeper than just saving you out of darkness. This is about the glory of God and He's jealous for it. That's what's behind. That's what's motivating the salvation of God. He says, never again will you be called the forsaken city. How many people are walking around, maybe even believers today, because you haven't appropriated baptism. You're walking around going, deep down, I think I'm forsaken. I know the Bible says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I know the Spirit is given as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come, living inside me, never to leave. I know the promises of the New Testament, but deep down, if you really ask me, I think he's probably keeping his distance and shying his face away from me. But here's what the Bible says. It says, never again, never again will you be called the forsaken city or the desolate land. Well, I'm desolate. There's no fruit in my life and there can never be. Because of who I am, what I've done, what I'm carrying. I'm remembering the, the guilt of my sin. I'm a desolate land. Your new name will be the city of God's delight. The city God delights in or the city of God's delight. And the bride of God. Hey, that's, the, that's us. That's the church of Jesus Christ. This is what he's talking about. Compare it with the New Testament. For the Lord delights in you and will claim you as his bride the lord delights in you zephaniah talks about god delighting in you and dancing over you zephaniah 3 
We've just read that there's mercies that are new every morning. I will remember this. I will dare to remember that God's mercies are new every morning, that His love is unfailing. I will remember that. I'm not a desolate city. I'm not forsaken. I'm not, you know, people that carry shame and guilt, they deep down are isolated. Deep down. And there was words about that this morning. And Kharot came to me and he said, please take note of that word that just came about shame and guilt. And I was like, well, I've got another brief there. Thank you. That's really good. And then someone else came and confirmed it in worship. And then we saw the baptism and the worship. And God's just going like, guys, I've got a message for you. I don't want one person here not living in the baptism. If you haven't been baptized, today's the day. Please, don't wait. Don't wait. Don't carry around the corpse. Do it today. Do it in your clothes. It's not that bad to ride home wet. It doesn't matter. I, please. I, <laughs> I've seen this many times. And it's not just emotional decision for you. It needs to be, I have to do this. I have to get rid of the old man. I have to be washed in the deepest place. Not so that I can just look into the eyes of my wife, but so that I can look into the eyes of the God of this universe who sees everything and see delight in His eyes. See love and joy over me in His eyes. If I don't live with that, I'm, I'm, I'm scorning the cross and what it was for. That's what it bought. I'm living in less, and I'm thinking I'm doing it like out of some sort of noble, pure place. No, that's not noble at all. That's not living in what Jesus died for. He died so that He can call you His delight and live with delight over you, dancing over you, rejoicing over you, shouting songs of deliverance over you, helping you in your time of need committed to praying for you night and day forever as your mediator in heaven beside the, the Father, bringing your name before God all the time, saying, I died for this one. I've written his name. I've written her name in the book of life. Are you living with this? Because I'll tell you, I don't always live with this, but I've learned now. I've learned now that I cannot go on another day or another second unless I black and white know that God is shouting and rejoicing and delighting over me. Because that's what brings confidence. That's what brings life. That's, that's everything. It is everything. If I don't have that, I've actually got nothing. I'm going to live insecure, pulling up the old corpse, reminding myself of my sins. The enemy got this hold over me at night, reminding me, reminding me. Come on. I'm not talking about just living how we want. I'm talking about real power of being different from today on. Real power. Grace that empowers.